This time our scripture reading comes from the rest of Mark chapter 7. Begin the scripture reading at verse 24. Read to the end of the chapter, verse 37. There in verses 24 through 37 of of Mark 7, we read this word of God. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into an house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled. For it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord. Yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. And now the words of our text, verses 31 through 37. And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears And he spit and touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed, and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. May the Lord bless us in the reading of that part of Scripture. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus had been laboring along the northern border towns of Galilee. So think of the Sea of Galilee, the region of Galilee, and then the northern border towns between Galilee and Tyre and Sidon. He had visited, we learn in in the passage in verses 24 through 30, visited a town very near Tyre and Sidon, and... Still in that town, he followed his normal method of preaching. His method was to 
preach to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That was the mission which God had sent him to do, and as the faithful prophet of Jehovah, Christ fulfilled that mandate. This mandate was emphasized to the Syrophoenician woman when she came in behalf of her devil-possessed daughter to beseech of Jesus that he would heal her daughter. But she was a Gentile and a Syrophoenician woman, which means she was, according to her spiritual lineage, she was heathen, a pagan, an idol worshiper. And thus it was clear, being a Gentile and her spiritual heritage, an idol worshiper, it's not normal that Jesus would speak to her or even work with her. This Jesus emphasized by the analogy that he presented to her to draw out of her, in the presence of the disciples, her faith. He said to her, it is not proper to take the children's bread and take it from the table in the house and then cast it unto the dogs. That is, to take that platter of food for the children and then to put it under the table where the little house dogs sit and to give it to them. Would the Lord then give to her that bread that was normally given to the little children, normally given to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the Jews, to whom was given the Old Testament promises, the scriptures, and so on? The woman, in response, received that analogy of Jesus with humility. She did not accuse Jesus of being discriminatory, She did not accuse the Lord of being unfair, thou art unrighteous, in that response. She didn't do that. By the faith which the Lord was working in her, she received that instruction of Jesus. She said, yes, Lord. Yes, that's right. I am like the little house dogs. I don't belong to the master's house. I'm a Gentile. I was an idol worshiper as a young girl. And now my daughter is devil-possessed by the devils behind this idol worship from my native land. No, I'm not worthy. Yes, I am a little dog. I am a sinner. Yes, Lord, Lord of my life, Lord who directs all things and has brought me to thy feet, yes. And then she protests or pleads her case. Nevertheless, the dogs, the little house dogs under the master's table eat of that bread. Yes, it comes to them as crumbs, but they still have access to the master's bread. And that's me. For thou art here before me, face to face, giving to me the bread of life. Even as a Gentile, so unworthy, so undeserving. 
there stood before Jesus the true daughter of Abraham. In very much complete contrast to the Pharisees mentioned at the beginning of chapter 7, who were not behaving or were not the true children of Abraham. Here is one, a true child of Abraham, a true believer, a picture also of the salvation that Christ came to work in his people to declare and to reveal unto us that we are saved by grace alone. We are so unworthy, so undeserving, so wretched, and yet the Lord, and mercy will never comprehend, comes to us face to face to work his salvation in you and our children. That same golden thread of the previous event of chapter 7 is now woven into our text. For Jesus does, according to his mandate, return to the lost sheep of Israel in the province of Galilee in northern Palestine. And there he preaches the word, declares the gospel of the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And in his preaching, as it was before, so it is then At this time in Galilee, there are those who receive the gospel, like the Syrophoenician woman, and there are those who reject the gospel. And that raises the question, which Jesus answers in the text, what made them who received the gospel different from those who did not receive the gospel? and continued on their way in their unbelief. What made the difference, or who made the difference? Did those who received the gospel, like the Syrophoenician woman, did she have something in her intellect, or something in her will, something in her mind that made and gave her an advantage over others? And that's, what, that's the reason why she received the gospel. No. What makes us receptive to the gospel and to respond appropriately before the Lord who comes to us face to face to speak his word? The answer to that question is given in the one word which Jesus makes known in verse 34. Ephatha. That's it. That's the answer. Be opened. The answer is not in me. It's not in you. It's in him. In his word. Ephatha. And that's the word we need Jesus to speak to us face to face under the preaching of the gospel where the word is administered unto us so that that word, that very powerful word, may open your ears Loose that tongue in order to make you a faithful prophet of the Lord to go and tell the wonders of his love which he has done to you and to your covenant seed. Consider that truth and that application as well under this theme, Ephatha, or be opened. Notice, first of all, the need for Jesus' word. And secondly, the power of Jesus' word. And then thirdly, the result of Jesus' word. 
We notice in the text in verse 32 that there was a man brought by his friends to Jesus, the great physician, for healing. Why did his friends do that? Couldn't he do that himself? Well, these friends understood in love for him his need. And as we learn, he had a great need. He could not speak for himself. The man was, as we learn at the end of the passage, he was dumb, which doesn't mean he had intellectual problems. He was mute. He could make sounds, perhaps, with his throat or his mouth, but they were completely unintelligible. It made no sense. The problem, as the text shows, was that the muscle of his tongue and the nerves associated with that muscle did not function as they do with you and me. They were, as the text makes clear, they were tied up. His tongue was like a piece of dead wood. It didn't work. In addition, he was deaf. He could not hear, even if you right up to his face, he could not decipher the sound that you were expressing to him. He never heard the birds sing or knew what that meant. Never heard his parents say, I love you. Could not hear them. His eardrum, like his tongue, was a flat piece of wood, dead. And that inability to communicate had serious, as you can imagine, consequences for him. Could not enjoy conversation with his friends, had extreme difficulty developing friendships, if not impossible. But worse, it was devastating for his spiritual life which we believe is behind the motivation of his friends who bring this man to the great physician. He could not sing the songs of Zion. He could not hear the word of God preached and explained by the prophets or the priests in that day, or Christ himself. He could not, hearing that word and how it comforted him to go then to his fellow saints and comfort them with the same word that he had heard. He couldn't hear it. How could he speak it to his fellow saints? He could not go to the temple, and although he could see the smoke arise from the altar of burnt offering, though he could see the priest go into the temple at the hour of prayer, he could not hear the priest announced the blessing that we heard this morning at the end of the service. He was a silent, lonely sufferer, unable to do what God calls us to do, to go and tell the great things which he has done for his people, to tell of his wonders and the wonders of his love. Not possible. He needed the touch of Jesus to heal him. From an outward point of view, he needed that healing. From a spiritual point of view, for the welfare of his soul, he needed that healing. Notice also that this man knew his need for the great physician. It says in verse 32... And they bring him unto 
bring unto Jesus him that one, one that was deaf. Very simple. There is no indication here that the man was forced to go to Jesus. He doesn't go kicking and screaming, knowing, trusting his friends, but also understanding who that is, the great physician. He comes to Jesus willingly, which means he knew his need. He is humbled. And there is none else to whom he may go except him who has the word of eternal life. But he stands before Jesus, speechless, silent, and that inescapable need. That's the man who needed Christ. And what a contrast, beloved, to the Pharisees that are presented at the beginning of chapter 7. The Lord laid out to them their need. You've taken the laws and you have rejected the word of God. You are hypocrites. Your ears are closed and your tongues are tied up. You don't hear the truth. You're not speaking the truth. You're teaching your followers even to break the fifth commandment by your escape clause from obligations to your parents. You are hypocrites. You don't love the law. And so the Lord lays out clearly their need. Repent. Embrace the word of God. Believe in the true Christ. And yet, following what Jesus says at the end of that long list of sins, they followed defilement number 13. Foolishness. Christ makes it so clear to them, they reject his instruction and continue on their way. And regard Jesus as the false prophet and accuse him of having the hearing problem and not speaking the truth. In contrast to those wicked Pharisees, this man, however, comes to Jesus by the hand of his friends, humbled. He comes in his need, knowing his need. Like the Syrophoenician woman, yes, yes, Lord, this is who I am apart from thee. Nothing. Can't even speak. Can't even hear. Nothing. And that, beloved, is a picture of you and me. We're just like this man from a spiritual point of view. Spiritually deaf. Our ears are not tuned to spiritual things. They're tuned, all right, to the sounds of wickedness. We don't want to hear the beautiful things of the mouth of God and the beautiful truth of Jesus Christ. We prefer the wickedness of the world. And if we don't think that's true, observe what kind of music that we're prone and attracted to in our youth. You'll discover... Yes, our ears by nature are tuned to that of the world very quickly because of that old nature. By nature, those eardrums are stiff to the word of God. Then we're also spiritually dumb, mute. Cannot speak the things of the spirit of God by nature. We're reluctant to speak of them. 
We'd prefer to speak of the things of our own wisdom, our own works, and the works of man. And that comes, beloved, from us. That's our defilement. That's our sin. That's our depravity. That's our old nature. Those spiritual mouths are very capable of wickedness and sin and evil speaking and slander and many other things that God's word condemns and shows to us. This is not how we are to use these ears and that mouth and that spiritual ability of hearing and speaking. And those dead ears and those mute mouths apart from Jesus Christ are worthy of God's punishment. Do we understand that? Do we, as this man, know our need? Know that apart from Christ, this is me. Without Christ, and apart from Christ, this word that we hear this evening means nothing. Beloved, we're slow of ears to hear slow of mouth to speak the word of God. We need the great physician, the chief prophet of Jehovah, our Lord Jesus Christ, to bring to us that which can only cure that muteness and that deafness. And that is the word of Jesus Christ. Ephatha, be opened. That's the word of Jesus a powerful word of Jesus Christ. Jesus receives this man in his deafness and muteness and his mercy, knew exactly what this man was troubled by, did not need this man to introduce himself to Jesus or his friends to say, this is so-and-so and give him his medical history and so on. He is the merciful high priest of his people. He knows us by name as his sheep from eternity. This man comes to him, not as a surprise to Jesus, but as the sheep whom Jesus knew from eternity. Jesus knew what needed to be done to this man and how it needed to be done to him so that he wouldn't just be automatically healed, but would be dealt with in such a way that he understood how and why he would be healed. Now we might wonder, well, how is Jesus going to do this with a man who is a deaf mute? Jesus, in his wisdom, dealt with this man face to face in a very special way. He took this man out of the crowd and stepped aside with him and dealt with him one-on-one, as it were, face to face, undistracted, from the multitude and what they may have been talking about and could focus each other's attention on one another. Then without distraction, without interruption, Jesus takes his fingers and puts them into his ears, the man's ears. Then he wets his finger and touches the tongue of that man. What did Jesus mean by that sign language? There's a lot of speculation in the commentaries about what that may mean, but we can simply understand that what Jesus meant was, first of all, by doing this, 
I will open your ears so that that which is plugged will soon hear. And then the Lord, by touching his wet finger upon the dead tongue of that man, said through that sign language, that tongue which is like dead wood, I will make alive like a green tree. And I'll make that tongue alive by the washing of his finger. Referring, of course, to the washing of his blood and spirit. How is Jesus going to do that? Well, having taught the man, this is what I will do. I will open your ears and I will make your tongue alive. I'm now going to fulfill that word. And I will do that, as Jesus shows in the text, by first of all, looking up into heaven. Why did he look up into heaven? Again, using sign language with this man, who up to this point could not hear, Jesus shows, I will look to my Father in heaven. And looking to my Father in heaven... I will pray for you, and I have prayed for you, and the Father hears me, and he will give to me the grace and the mercy that I need to heal you. And by that gesture of Jesus looking up into heaven, the man understood Jesus isn't sent on his own. He did not come to do his own will. He came to do the will of the Father in heaven. The Father in heaven has come to me in his Son with his mercy and grace to do the work that is necessary to heal me of this problem and this problem, but also that which it pictures in me, my unbelief. Now, what was the work that Jesus came by the command of the Father that would cure this man? Not just in his deafness and dumbness, but in that which it pictured. That Jesus answered by the next gesture. When Jesus, looking up into heaven, then does what? He sighed. He sighed in front of the man. By that Jesus declared, that's what I came to do for you. And that's what will heal you and all of my people that sigh. And because of that sigh, Christ then, the next step, declares to the man in victory and triumph, Ephatha, that which is closed, be opened. That which is tied up, be loosened. That which is dead, be alive. Beloved, that's the word of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, from the right hand of God. That's the word of his power. He doesn't come to his people, nor did he come to this man pleading with him. He comes with the word of his power. The same power with which he created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. Out of nothing he brought into existence all things which have been made. And you children remember on the first day when God said light, there wasn't this long delay 
or a long, long process. And finally, after many, many millions of years, there is something called light. No. This is the word that when God said, let there be light, there's light on the first day. The same word which said to the devils, get out of him, earlier in the book of Mark, and the devils left. The word which raised the dead, healed the sick, and worked faith in God's people throughout the scriptures and also in the book of Mark. That's the word Christ is speaking to this deaf mute. The word which comes from the Father in heaven is in fulfillment of the Father's will and counsel. It is the word of the Father's promise to his people. And it's that all-powerful word which will accomplish what it says it will do. That word will open your ears, loose your tongues, open the eyes to make you alive. To make you who are darkness light. That which, to make you who are enemies by nature to become the friends of God. That's the word which Christ speaks to us who are also deaf-mute. That powerful word, beloved, is illustrated in verse 34. You might ask, well, what is the content of that word which he speaks to this man which cures him? And the answer to that question is in that sigh. That sigh of Jesus proclaims that mercy which delivers us from the misery of our sin into his righteousness and eternal life. That's the mercy of his compassion in which he knows our misery and our sin and the calamity in which we are and may be in life. But also the mercy which has the power to do something about that misery and sin, to deliver us from that unbelief and that sin into the comfort of our Lord Jesus Christ. What accomplishes that? It's what the sigh of Christ declares. That sigh of Jesus declares what is taught in Isaiah 53, verse 4, where Isaiah declares Christ will bear our sorrows and our griefs. It's true that often when we sigh, it's because of sin. You can imagine this young man before Jesus, with being a deaf mute, how much he sighed. And that's a picture of the sighing which we often have under the, the weight and the weariness of our sin and misery in this life. Christ came to bear that sigh, bear that iniquity, bear the weight of that sin, bear the curse for our sin, and to do that for us. Christ declares in that sigh unto us, I will become the object of God's wrath for you. I will go to the outer darkness of God's wrath in your place, so that in that darkness I will sigh the sigh of all sighs and become that deaf mute who is forsaken by God and in the darkness in which all communication with the Father is cut off 
for your redemption, for your salvation. That sigh of the text, beloved, that declares the gospel of our salvation and the only thing which cures you and me from our sin. The death of our Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. For on the third day, having sighed the sigh of all sighs, Christ then receives the joy of all joy, everlasting life, immortality, fellowship with the Father, uninterrupted, constant communication with the Father forever. And that's what Christ obtained for you, for us. And it's on that basis of his finished work. Christ then from his heavenly throne doesn't come to us in his word and now plead with us. Please open your ears. Try to speak. Please. No. He comes in the power of his word and spirit. Almighty and sovereign. And just as he worked with this man, moving in his friends, moving and working in this man's heart, and then working in him the miracle as a picture and a sign of the salvation he worked in this man of true faith, so the Lord speaks to you that word of power that works faith in us by his grace and works that faith in us all the days of our life under the preaching of the gospel according to his wisdom and good pleasure. That's the cure from our spiritual deafness and dumbness. The result of that word then is, as you would expect, the man was healed instantly. The infirmity was gone. The text says his ears were opened. He could hear the birds, the animals, Jesus himself speak to him. He did not need to go to school to figure out, well, what, what is this noise that I'm hearing from this man? No, he knew his Lord. He knew his voice, both spiritually by faith, but then also face to face in that place in Galilee, in Palestine. That's my Lord. And then, verse 35 says, the string of his tongue was loosened, and he spake plain. He needed no speech therapy. Some of God's people have a stroke. It affects their speech. They need speech therapy to try to regain that ability again. This man? No. Instantly speaks plain Aramaic or Greek or whatever the language at that time may have been in that situation. He understood. He could speak the language instantly which for those of us who learn foreign languages in high school or, or in grade school, to us is just astonishing. In fact, to the crowd, it was astonishing beyond measure. He did not need to go to school. He, he could speak fluently. His vocabulary was enormous in an instant. Amazing. So that even the crowd was impressed. He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. And we believe, according to 
what Jesus does in Mark chapter 5 with another man whom he healed. He told him, go and tell. Go home and tell your family the great things God has done for you. So this man sent, having his ears opened and his mouth cured, his dumbness cured, go home and tell the wonders of the Lord. But you'll notice in the text, verse 36, to the multitude, to them, the crowd, he told them to be quiet. And he did that for two reasons. The first reason is found in the look of Jesus. Remember his look into heaven to the Father? Whose will did Jesus come to do? He came to do the will of his Father in heaven. To seek the glory of the Father, not his own glory. Jesus reminds the multitude to leave them without excuse. That he does that miracle not to glorify himself. Not to make a name for himself. Not to increase his popularity in Galilee. Not to gain the following of the Galileans over against those who might be following the Pharisees. And engage in some political battle with the Pharisees. No. Came to glorify his Father in heaven. Christ is the spotless Lamb of God. The perfect, true prophet of the Father in heaven. And then number two, remember the sigh of Jesus? The sign language to the deaf mute was, I will die for you. I will suffer for you to save you from your sin and rise again the third day to deliver you from the death of this life so that the day comes when you will, never have un, un, you will never have interrupted speech. You will always hear my voice. You will always speak plainly, perfectly, sinlessly in heaven. Jesus understood that. The multitude did not understand that. But Jesus told them, do not publicize this miracle. Your reasons for publicizing this this miracle, are carnal. Not to glorify the Father in heaven, but to have me as your king, so I can do more of these miracles. Jesus said, no. I am willing to fulfill the sigh on the cross, which includes being rejected by men. That's the path which the Father has sent me to go. That's the path I must fulfill. Do not publicize, according to your reasons and your desire, this miracle. People, nevertheless, did not understand. Verse 36, they continued to publish abroad what Jesus did. Because they didn't understand. Their ears were not opened. And their tongues were not loosed. They were carnal-minded. We are warned, let us not be slow to understand, slow to hear the word of the gospel. We must look to the Lord and his spirit, and plead on his mercy, beseech him for that grace that we may hear, so that that which is closed may be open and that which is bound may be loosened. 
That's the wonder, beloved, which Jesus works in you and me through his word brought to us through the weak means of the preaching and the administering of the word by a minister of the gospel to us who by nature are deaf and dumb and yet must also fight against that deafness and dumbness all the days of our life. Christ works in us by his word so that we might do what we sing of and read of in Psalm 116, verse 10. He works in us by that word, be opened, ephatha, so that you and I believe. And as we believe, therefore we speak, we tell. Have you seen, beloved, the grace of God to you? Have you seen the mercy of God to you? Have you seen that He is your only salvation? your only righteousness, that he is your Lord, your Savior. Having so heard then, beloved, go, speak, tell. Tell it to the Lord in prayer. Tell it to the Lord in song and in your worship on the Lord's day and in your family worship together and in your personal worship before the Lord. Tell it to your fellow saints the great things that our God does for his people in times of sorrow, in times of joy. Bring to those in their affliction that word of mercy which they need to hear of the wonders of God's mercy and love to us whom he never leaves nor forsakes. Tell it to all those whom the Lord brings upon your pathway in life. Tell of the wonders and the wonderful works of God in Christ Jesus to you and to his church. That's your calling as a prophet in the office of believer. That is your calling of witnessing. It is true that we will also need to tell the reality that there are those whom the Lord does not work those open ears and that loosened tongue. But we must also speak and rejoice in the great things which God does for us, in us, through us, and within us by the Holy Spirit. And rejoice that he who sighed in silence on the cross for us did that so you might rejoice all your saints and fellow saints in heaven before his throne in uninterrupted fellowship. Beloved, that's the wonder of the word of Christ. It's a miracle. It's astonishing beyond measure, especially when you consider ourselves. Can you comprehend The wonder of the Lord to you in his mercy? That's the power and the beauty of the word of Christ, which opens that which is closed and loosens that which is bound so that you may confess his name and show forth day by day the marvelous praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his 
marvelous light. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, we give thanks to thee that we may receive from thy word the word of our Lord Jesus Christ, that work of almighty grace to open that which is closed and to loosen that which is tied up so that we with the church of all ages and our fellow saints may not only believe but may also go and speak of the wonders and the wonderful works thou hast done for us and in us and through us. We give thee thanks and we praise thy name for the wonders of thy love to us. In Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, amen.